Last week, we began a series on the seven pillars of the church. And what I said regarding the seven pillars, the seven pillars are seven foundational pillars. If you think of a building with columns, that's, that's kind of the imagery we're going for here, right? It's, it's seven pillars. It's seven foundations. And these are seven foundations. These are seven truths that we hold here at Calvary. On the starting of the church, as I took time to fast and pray and seek the Lord, the Lord kind of revealed to me these seven pillars. And what I, what I refer to them as really foundations upon which the church is built. It's never intended to be exhaustive, right? This isn't the ultimate definition of the church, but rather seven important truths upon which to build a church. And just by way of reminder, right, they're, they're on our website, but what are the seven pillars just by way of reminder? Well, Number one, the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord. Number two, the church is built upon the Word of God. Number three, the church is gospel proclaiming. Number four, the church is missional. Number five, the church is built upon godly worship. Number six, the church is the community of believers. And number seven, the church is a prayer-based community. These are seven truths regarding the church. And last week we spoke to you regarding the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord. And we state that this is Christ's church of which he will forever be the head. And we exist to bring glory to his name and make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ known. That's the purpose of for this church. Actually, it's the purpose for all churches, right? Unless a church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord, meaning that he is sovereign, that he is overall, then any other definition fails. We're built upon the fact that Christ is Lord. We bow in obedience. We bow in humility to our sovereign Lord and God. And our purpose is is to glorify God. That's the purpose of the church. It's not fellowship. It's not socializing. It's not social ministry. It is to glorify God and make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ known. That's the purpose of the church. Every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ is head of the church, not a person. A person isn't head of the church. Not a council. Not a priest or a pastor. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the head. And the church exists to make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ known. If somebody asks you, what's the purpose of church? There's your answer. Right? Oh, but we, we feed the poor. Well, that's great. But the purpose of the church is to make the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ known, to declare Christ as Lord. Today we're going to look at the second of the seven pillars. Also an extremely important one. And that is 
The church is built upon the Word of God. The church is built upon the Word of God. And we will define what we mean by stating built upon the Word of God. We're going to define this for you. The key questions here are, can we know God? Did God communicate to us through His Word? Is the Word of God sure, dependable, inspired, and infallible? And we will look at several texts today to show that the church is built upon the Word of God. Now, to do that, I want to I define some words that we use here. You go up on our website, you'll see statements like this. We believe that the Bible is inerrant. I want you to write that word down, inerrant. And that means without error when it pertains to matters of history or science or salvation. We believe that the the Word of God is infallible. Write that word down. And what that is is that the Bible will not fail in its ultimate purpose of revealing God and the way of salvation to humans. And we believe that the Bible is inspired. Write that word down. And that the Scriptures are God-breathed. They are the actual words of God. And we believe that the Scriptures are sufficient For all matters of life, for all matters of life, we have a sufficient word. And 2 Timothy 3.16 states that Scripture are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be well equipped, may be adequately equipped. Now, I want to just share something. We had a good Sunday school about this this morning, but I'm going to, kind of going to continue into this message. The proper view of the Word of God is that the original text, the original text, the Hebrew and the Greek, not the English translations, were divinely given to man by God and written down as God intended. God used 40 different authors across 1,500 years to communicate His revelation of Himself to the human race. He communicates the revelation of Himself and He communicates His plan of salvation through the Word of God. The Bible is God's Word to humanity. Human authors wrote it, but God prompted them and guided them to write what they did. It's important that you understand this. Every word, every word form and word placement found in the Bible's original manuscripts was divinely and intentionally written. I want you to get this. The way it is written, every word is there for a reason. God has that word. He communicated that word. 
This is the orthodox view of the church and is known as verbal plenary inspiration. Simply put, every word in the original text was intentionally and deliberately put there by God. Now that has big ramifications for us. Huge ramifications for us. Because when the Bible says that you are not to blaspheme, nobody has the right to alter that. It is the Word of God. And therefore it is not subject to your opinion or to your whim or to whatever we want to do with it. It is the divinely inspired the Word of God. And to transgress the Word of God is to transgress God. Now it is upon this word that the church of Jesus Christ is built and it is upon this word that we set out to build this church, which is why we're a very word-centric church, right? We hold that the word of God is the authoritative word of God. It is authoritative. It is said and it is done. And our church holds that no one anywhere with any position has the right to change, to modify, or to alter that word. You hear me clearly here? No one. That means the contemporary times, as cultures change, as morals and mores change in society, no one has the authority to alter or change that word. No one. Nobody could say that the Old Testament doesn't apply to us any, anymore. Take the Old Testament and throw it out. No one can say, hey, we're going to modify the person of God and make him androgynous. Nobody has that authority to do that. No one. That is why we maintain that Bibles, and I'll put that in quote, Bibles that modify and amend the original text stated meanings, which have come later than the original text, are not authentic, and are not divinely inspired. Other Bibles or translations that change the person of God the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the plan and work of salvation that might offer new revelation and truth are not divinely inspired words of God. That's very, very, very important for us to understand. So today we're going to look at several texts to demonstrate why we hold that the orthodox position regarding the Word of God and why we as a church place our emphasis and our truth upon that Word. The Word is the final authority. I want to reiterate that again. You may not like what the Word has to say. You may have a differing opinion of a Word, but the net-net about being a believer in Jesus Christ and about this book is that the Word has the final authority. Many times I say, you know, the Gospel, 
The gospel is a blessing and a curse, right? To the one who hears the word of God and by faith repents and comes to Christ and is saved? Well, the gospel, what is the gospel, by the way? It's this entire book, right? To the one who has been changed by the word of God, to the one on whom faith came by hearing and hearing by the word of God, this book proves to be the greatest blessing in the world. But to the one who disobeys, to the one who doesn't heed this word, to the one who doesn't repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ, these words will judge that person. These words will judge that person. Which is why, why we must pay heed to the very, very Word of God. It's very simple. So we're going to look at several texts as to why we hold to this position and place our emphasis and our trust in the Word of God. And we're going to see three things today. Number one, we're going to see that the Word of God is inspired by God. That the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible, is inspired by God. And we will define what inspired means. The second truth we're going to come to is that saving faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Saving faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And the third truth that we're going to see today is that believers, people who are followers of Jesus Christ, believers are sanctified by the Word of God. Sanctified by the Word of God. Now to do so, we're going to begin with our first text. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look specifically at verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and I'll read it for you. It reads as follows. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good works. Now this is one of the clear admonitions of the Apostle Paul as he writes to Timothy regarding the Word of God. He's encouraging Timothy, speak the Word of God, preach the Word of God, live the Word of God, breathe the Word of God, declare the Word of God. And its roots really at the time of the writing was really in the words of the Old Testament. That was the only scripture at that point, right? And the Old Testament that Paul refers to is rooted in the reliability of the Old Testament text. So he directs them to the Old Testament. And it was God's word as was revealed through the prophets. We just read Psalm 19 as our scripture reading. But in Psalm 19.7, the Word of God says this, The law of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. Restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise this simple. In verse 10 of Psalm 19, it reads, They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Speaking of this sure word that was given to the Old Testament, given through the Old Testament, Peter himself declares in 2 Peter 1, 20-21, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Paul confirms it. Peter confirms it. The Word is divine. The Word is sure. The Word is infallible. And he uses the term that the Word is inspired. All Scripture is inspired by God. Now, something regarding this word inspired. Inspired does not mean something like, oh, I was inspired to write a poem or you know, Lewis inspired me to do something. That is not the word used there in the Greek. The Greek word there for inspired is theopneustos. It literally means God breathed. When we talk about the word of God being inspired, what Paul is saying, the word of God has been breathed by God himself. I often think that if God were able to manifest himself here in physical form and stand right up here in the front and give us a word, do this, don't do that. I often wonder how many people go, "Ah, I don't care what, what God says. I'll do whatever I want to do. How many of us would say that? Or how many would say, the Lord said, I'm going to do. When we ignore the Word of God, we're doing the exact same thing. When we ignore the Word of God, when we don't place emphasis on the Word of God, when we treat the Word of God as, well, this is the way I think it is, versus what the Word of God says, it's as if we ourselves are denying God Himself because every word of Scripture is God-breathed. God breathed these words. God gave the revelation of Himself. God breathed into human agents, the 40 different authors who recorded the word using human writing abilities. I want, I want to make this point very, very clear. Every word, every clause, every jot was recorded the way God intended it to be recorded. This has, this has significant, significant meaning because there's a lot of manipulation of the Word of God that's going on today. This is a God-inspired word. God recorded the word. Listen, he recorded the word for human understanding. For human understanding. He used human words and human language as a form of communication to reveal himself to the human race. 
God did not, and this is an important point, God did not write in some other form of angelic language that requires a special interpreter to say, this is what that means. Do you imagine, could you believe that? God used Greek, God used Hebrew, God used Aramaic, earthly languages. He wrote in comprehensive and cohesive sentences and structures. He used words that people can understand. Why? Because God chose those languages to reveal himself to mankind. What a mercy of God that is. What a grace of God that is. Imagine if God had written in some form of angelic or non-human language and then God anointed these interpreters to go around and say this is what it means this is what it means we would never know what the truth of God is but God used human language to to communicate the infinite God get this picture the infinite God no beginning no end no end to his wisdom no end to his knowledge the infinite god chose to communicate to finite simple human beings using everyday language god doesn't speak down at us does he god doesn't use those big quarter words all the time But God chose in his mercy and his love and his grace to reveal himself using the word. And despite the vast amount that that we do not know about God, by the way, the Holy Scriptures unveil everything we need to know. There would not be enough volumes, not enough pages, Not enough words for God to reveal 10% of his wisdom. But what we have is not everything about God. What we have is what God has intended us to know about him. And the glories of heaven when we get to heaven is there's going to be so much more that probably would blow our earthly minds. I think our heads would explode. And that's why we declare that the Word of God is infallible. Infallible. And that simply means that the Bible will not fail. It will not fail in its ultimate purpose of revealing God and the way of salvation to humans. We hold the Word of God to be infallible. infallible. It will not fail. The Bible is attacked like no other book in the history, and the Bible still continues to be the number one bestseller. The Bible still continues to feed the souls of those who are hungry to have a revelation of God. And I want to say something about this. I can't tell you the amount of people who profess to be Christians who tell me that they don't read their Bible, but they're languishing, and they're having this problem, and they're having that difficulty, and they're having that guilty uh, difficulty. Of course they are. They don't even know who the person of God is if they're not in the Word of God. How can you have confidence to them? God is some kind of concept, and He's some kind of being that's supposed to satisfy them. And when life goes awry and when life is going crazy, they have no understanding. 
They don't know of the mercies of God. They don't know of the attributes of God. And the only yardstick, the only measurement they could use is themselves. And of course, if you use yourself, you fall short. Which is why I say don't read your Bible, study your Bible. Don't read your Bible, meditate and contemplate upon the Word of God. Because in it is truth. And in it we find the character of God. Listen, the Word of God benefits the earnest reader of that Word and has spiritual benefit and profit. That's what Paul means here in 2 Timothy verse 3.16 when he says that the Word of God is profitable for teaching. There is tangible benefits. Tangible benefits. The more diligently one studies the Word of God, the deeper in faith they will grow, provided that they are born again. There are many people who study the Bible that aren't born again, and you know what? It has no tangible benefits to them whatsoever spiritually other than condemnation, which is the truth. One needs to understand the Scriptures from a contextual perspective. Which is why I always say that context is king. Context is king. One needs to be able to understand the Word of God as it's laid out in its respective context versus, oh, this is how I interpret this to be. You give me 45 minutes, you give me a Bible, I'll invent a cult, and I'll use the Bible to support it. Why? Because all I have to do is take things out of their respective context and superimpose my meaning upon it by supporting it with Scripture. Listen, while the Bible has many applications, the Bible has one meaning. You understand that? While the Bible has many applications, the Bible does have one meaning. At Calvary, we teach the Word of God. And in teaching the Word of God, we exalt the God of the Word. We teach the Word of God to exalt the God of the Word. We teach the Scriptures so that you would know Christ. And in knowing Christ, you would exalt God. And you would exalt Christ. And you would be made firm in your faith. We do that intentionally. We do that deliberately. We do that on Sundays when we meet for Sunday school. We do that when we meet for Sunday worship. We do that on Tuesday night when we do our verse-by-verse Bible study. We do that on Wednesday when we meet for prayer. Before prayer, we give the Word of God. We do that. I do that in every form of counseling. The Word of God is with me. The Word of God goes with me. Why? Because you need to hear the Word of God, not me. You need to hear the Word of God. And we teach that the Word of God is profitable, as Paul says here in 2 Timothy 3.16, for teaching. Paul goes on to say here, <clears throat> he goes on to say that it is profitable for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Reproof is simply to reprove or rebuke. For correction, this is a great word, it means to make it straight, to fix it, to make it straight, to straighten it out. The Word of God is beneficial for reproof. It's beneficial for correction when someone's going awry, when someone is going wrong, when teaching is going wrong. The Word of God can straighten it out. It can make it make sense. We can reprove and we can rebuke with the Word of God those that are in disobedience toward God. We can use the Word of God to correct those with errant views of God in the Word of God. And for training specifically for training in righteousness. And that is right living, right standing before God. How do we train a person for right living and right standing before God? We don't pull out a separate book and say, do all these things in the book. What do we use? We use the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. The Lord says this. And that is the purpose on Sunday mornings of the exposition of the Word of God, of the teaching in righteousness. And to do so, the only thing we can do is teach Scripture. And we encourage and we train via the Scriptures. Via the Scriptures. All of this is intended that we would become disciplined and we would become informed followers of Jesus Christ. Our goal is that we as believers in Christ will be equipped to live vibrantly, vibrantly, may I remind you, in a rebellious and in a sinful world. We are to live vibrantly. We are to defend the faith. We are to spread the gospel and lead others to Christ. And the mission of the church is to do that. And in order to do that, the church is built upon the Word of God. Listen, there's a few... Th- I, I, let me rephrase that. The Word of God, this Word of God, is just that, the very Word of God. And if you... Devour the pages of the Word of God. If you have a hunger to know God, you can only know God by His Word. This is God's revelation to us. And this is to be esteemed. Can I just mention a pet peeve or two? Can I do that? The Word of God is not to be in the back of your window in your car until you come to church on Sunday. And the Word of God is is not to be set on the floor as if it's another piece of stuff. And I I I personally have a practice that no other book goes on top of the Word of God. If you come in my office amidst the the various textbooks and things that I have here, you will never see me stack the other books on top. Why? Because this is the Word of God. 
It's the Word of God. I take tremendous care of the Word of God. I don't throw it on a couch if I'm done reading. Now, you may say, Mark, that's very legalistic. And to that I say, Amen. But I want to tell you something. Reverence the Word of God. You might say, Mark, this is just a book made out of paper. There's no sanctity sanctity in that. I tell you what's written on black on these pages are the very words, the very oracles of God. I can tell you that I have come to know God by the time I've spent in study of the Word of God. I can tell you the times that my life has been in crisis and this very Word of God leaped out at me specifically at something that I was facing and the Spirit of God took that Word, applied it to my heart to the point that it has brought me to tears before the Lord because I say how Lord how did you have the time to think of a loser like me and speak to me through your word this is the word of God when we do our scripture reading we begin with the word of God says when we conclude our scripture reading we say this is the word of God that is sent as an admonition it is sent so that we humble ourselves before the word and we do not just treat it as liturgy and we don't treat it as tradition and I will share with you if you are not in this word consistently meditating and contemplating upon the Word of God that you will not know how to live vibrantly in this world. I've said this a million times. I've never never met a person who professes faith in Jesus Christ who does not study and meditate upon the Word of God, does not spend time in prayer, and is not in consistent fellowship in the church, who is powerful, spirit-filled, vibrant Christian. Never met him. Never met him. And you know the people that you meet, that you go, oh my goodness, what a Christian that brother or sister is? You know why? They're in the Word of God. Amen. This is the inspired Word of God. It is God-breathed. It's not a book. And we are to hunger for the Word. The psalmist says, Thy Word I hide in my heart that I may not sin against Thee. We're to desire it as newborn babes. We're to pant after the Word of God. There's a second truth to this. Saving faith comes from the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 10, 17. It reads, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, the Word of Christ. In the second of seven pillars, we believe that the Word of God, as I mentioned, is infallible. It will not fail in its purpose of revealing God in the way of salvation. Simply put, We agree with Paul's verse here in Romans 10, 17, that the Word of God reveals a person's need for Christ, and upon hearing this Word, brings about 
salvation. Now, let me clarify that. Saving faith comes to those who hear the word. They have to hear the word first and believe by faith in the facts of the gospel. That is why we must include the gospel with scriptures whenever we are sharing the gospel with anybody. Please do not share the gospel and say, Oh, you're so lonely? Come to Christ. He'll be your best friend. Oh, you don't, people don't like you. They're mean. There's one who's going to love you forever. Oh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You know what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. Then I go, yeah, how can I find out about Jesus? And you're going to go, oh, just say this prayer. Make sure you're sincere when you say it. Just say this prayer. Make sure you're sincere. You're sincere. Welcome. You're in the family of God. And you just committed an atrocity. You gave assurance of a person who didn't repent of their sins, nor a person who understood the gospel. And by the way, if you're unsure about it, on our website, there is a tab called the gospel. Go look at that tab. Just do it once. And it lays out the declaration from the word of God speaks of God's holiness, man's sinfulness, the great dilemma. How can a righteous God save a sinner? Talks about the atoning work of Jesus Christ and why Christ came. Talks about faith. Talks about repentance. All of it, Scripture. All of it, Scripture. We must, if we're going to share the Gospel, share the Scripture. The Scripture says, hey, God is holy. Man is a sinner. There's nothing we can do to earn our way or to earn God's righteousness. Talks about that there was a penalty for sin, that blood had to be shed. Talk about the shed blood of Jesus Christ, how he is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the God-man, and that we must put our faith and trust in him and him alone. Know for sure it is not by technique. It's not by cleverness of words. Not intellect. But faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us that it's not by works. So those who tell you, well, you got to believe in Jesus, but do this. It's not by works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. I mean, can it be any clearer? Not as a result of works. If you don't believe that, listen to uh, Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the kindness and goodness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Some churches and organizations speak of doing something to be saved or to be made right before God, but Paul clearly states that believers, believers, Christians are saved not on the basis of deeds which they have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. And I want to add a caveat to that. 
To be saved is not merely hearing the gospel and intellectually believing the facts about it. Instead, it is about hearing and believing, entrusting oneself by faith to the words of the gospel. And the great words of the reformers still ring true today. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the most important point is alone. It is grace alone. It is faith alone. It is in Christ alone. So we've seen so far that the Word of God is inspired. We've seen that saving faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And here is the third truth we're going to explore. And that is the Word of God sanctifies believers. John 17, 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer as he prays for his disciples right before his departure to Calvary. He says this, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God, the Holy Scriptures, are the very words of God. <clears throat> As such, it is the only truth. Mark, you said something terrible. It is the only truth. There is no other truth Amen. apart from the word of God. Let God be found true and every man be found a liar. Believers are sanctified. What does that mean? They're set apart and they know God's truth only, only through the word of God. And as we say on our website, the believers in Christ can be assured of their salvation only through the word of God. And not by feelings or our own self-measurement of sincerity. Listen, the Word of God states the following regarding true conversion. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Our Lord Jesus Christ said this, You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Matthew seven sixteen. How do we know assurance of salvation? Assurance of salvation is upon, is based upon examination. How through the scriptures. The Word of God tells us, test yourself, see if you are in the faith, examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13.5 So we can know that the Word of God sanctifies the believer. Let's bring this all around now to ourselves. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. I love this statement. The only distinction in the church that I recognize at all, those who submit to the Word of God in its revelation and its teaching, and those who do not. There's a profound truth. At Calvary, we are a church that exalts the Word of God, and we exalt the God of the Word. Therefore, we consciously and deliberately build the church upon the Word of God. Now, let me say something. Other churches may have tremendous success bringing people in. They have more programs and groups, and some have more amenities Anybody's got more amenities than we have. But no one can ever say that we hold back or do not give God's word. That's what the preacher, the preacher is commanded to do that. The preacher is not supposed to give you moralistic lessons and ethical speeches about how to be a better person and how to be Mr. Nicety Nice. What the preacher is designed to do is expand on the Word of God, exposit the Word of God, declare the Word of God. What is to be preeminent in the church is not liturgy, is not building, it's not how many people you have, it's not how many programs you have. What is to be preeminent in the church is the Word of God. And our goal, I guess, here at Calvary can best be stated by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1.5 when he says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So in summation, we hold to the inspired, the God-breathed Word of God contained in the original text. Not a translation that was altered by men some 1,800 years later. Not a translation that is reinterpreted by men because of supposedly newfound revelation given to them by God or an angel. We hold to the text given to the church as authoritative. And it is authoritative in all matters of life. There isn't anything under the sun that the Bible does not apply to. Whether that was 6,000 years ago or today, there's nothing new under the sun. We hold to that authoritative word. And I want you, if you leave with anything, remember authoritative. It's the authority of God that speaks. And we hold to the inerrant Word of God. That it is accurate. Listen, it's accurate in all matters of science, history, and salvation. That's the number one place where it's attacked. We hold that the Word of God is inerrant. It holds to that. We hold that the Word of God is infallible. Again, that the Bible will not fail in its ultimate goal to reveal God and the way of salvation to humans. And you know what the proof of that is? The proof of that is how many people reject it. That's the proof. Because so many people reject it, they reject God. 
which just goes to show what the Bible says about the heart of the unbeliever. It's sinful. And we hold to the verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God. That every word, word form, placement found in the Bible's original manuscripts was divinely and intentionally written by God. This is why our first pillar is the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord, but our second pillar is the church is built upon the Word of God. I have nothing else to offer you except the very Word of God. And it comes down to each one individually. What are we going to do with that Word? That's what it comes down to. When the Word of God convicts you of sin, whether you think it's sin or not, and you're convicted of sin, what do you do with that Word? When the Word of God tells you what rightful living and holiness before God is required, what do you do with that Word? When the Word of God says, neither is there salvation in anyone else, for there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, what do you do with that Word? If you bow the knee before Jesus Christ is Lord... then this word becomes your food. This word is a banquet. It is a bounty. And God gives us, the believer, the privilege to eat at this table. Let's pray.